Hi, this is Mark Rabin. Welcome to episode 17 of the Kinexus podcast. Today's episode is a webinar that Greg Jacobson and I presented. Uh, it was hosted by our friends over at Gemba Academy. And the webinar is titled, Congratulations, You Have Lots of Employee Ideas, Now What? So we are really happy to be partners with Gemba Academy. We certainly encourage you to check out their website, www.gembaacademy.com. They have some really fantastic online training. Um, Ron Pereira, uh, the host of the webinar here, is um, the, the face of uh, the company and a lot of those training videos. Uh, Ron um, is a, a good friend of ours, and we appreciate everybody over there at Gemba Academy. So here is our webinar. Great to be here, and we're going to share some ideas and experiences and thoughts. And we're going to do this. We're sitting side by side, so very kind of interactive and hopefully fun and interesting, and pose some questions uh, for for everyone in a hopefully thought provoking and fun way. So it's great to be here. And please, you know, send us your uh, your your questions and ideas uh, through the chat box here because we're going to have some really great uh, Q&A time at the end. Yeah, so we'll have that time at the end. We had some people submit questions in advance, and we've incorporated that into what we're going to talk about today. So the theme today, um, it's kind of good news, bad news sometimes in organizations. Congratulations. You've, made, you've started an idea program, a suggestion system, a, a Kaizen initiative, a lean program, and you have lots of employee ideas. And now what? A lot of times people get caught in that situation of uh, it's a great problem to have. We asked for ideas, and now we have a ton of them. What do we do? And I think, you know, in a lot of organizations, we see this, a visual, it's actually really a wave. It's a, a flood of ideas, a wave of ideas. There's this pent-up energy in the organization, and ideas come crashing forward. Now, as, as a leader, this wave might look a little scary, like something that, that could crush us. Or, are you surfing in Hawaii? Yeah, I'll be. Uh, this actually, in real life, would be a wave I would be scared of surfing yes. it, but not, not in a way with ideas. So, so you know, we have a flood of ideas. <laughs> Lots of ideas come in initially. I've seen organizations, you know, in the first week, you're getting a couple ideas per person on average, 25 or 30 ideas in a hospital department. And so I think the challenge then when we have that flood of ideas, well, now what? We don't want to let this, this wave, turn into, into this. We're going to call this a, you know, a, a drought of ideas, an idea desert. The flow of ideas has dried up. It's stopped. Mm -hmm. um, we want to avoid that, and that's one of the themes we're going to talk about today. Um, maybe even before we get to that initial potentially crushing wave, you know, this might be our starting point. There's not a drop of water to be seen anywhere. You know, I've seen in, in manufacturing and, and, and healthcare, just, you, you might be 20 years of history where no one has been asked for their ideas. It's just completely dried up. Now, the ideas are there. Maybe I'll d extend the analogy a little bit. Like there's a well of water just underneath the surface. There's a natural, natural fresh spring that if we can figure out how to drill into that, the water comes uh, flowing forward. We may create now a big lake um, of ideas because I think we, we've both found the, the idea generation bottleneck, if you will. I mean, it's generally never a lack of ideas in people's heads. They're just not being engaged. Those ideas aren't going forward. So we might start with a desert or extreme drought and then try to turn it into this as we start, a big wave of ideas, or maybe better yet because that's a scary-looking crushing wave, can we turn it into this? A little bit more peaceful, calm, steadily flowing river where ideas are continually coming forward. They're continually flowing through an implementation process that is, is making people happy and excited and leading to more ideas. So if we get that flow, we want to be careful that we, again, prevent things drying up. Mm -hmm. So as we're starting that journey, we're working toward a culture of continuous improvement. And we, we, we use the word journey a lot in the lean world, and, and uh, we, we have to work at it. It's not something that's going to happen overnight or within a month. We can't have a month-long Kaizen program and think, okay, well, now we've created this culture that's going to magically sustain itself. It takes a lot of effort. It takes discipline. It takes consistent leadership. And if you do this right in that initial engagement, we'll talk about that a little bit later, if you're engaging people and asking for improvement ideas, asking for people to identify problems, you will get a flood of ideas. It's, it's a really, it's a nice problem to have, mm -hmm. and it's a problem that, that we can deal with. Great. So what we're going to do is really, 
I, I want you guys, if there's one thing that you, you take away from, from this hour is we would love to see everyone become a stream. Um, and we're going to talk about how to deal with that initial wave. And we're going to talk about how to prevent that desert. That's kind of the image I'd love people to come away from. And one of the things that we've learned a lot over the last decade or so I'm working with continuous improvement is that if you look at organizations that are doing this well, that ultimately you would look at them and everyone would say, you know, this organization has a culture of continuous improvement, you're going to end up finding three things. Mm -hmm. And those three things are in, in, in no order, in no order of importance, yeah. but there, it's probably uh, um, not by accident we put effective leadership initially because without effective leadership and without a leadership that is supporting continuous improvement, that's without leadership that is um, promoting it and talking about it, um, the really the rest of the organization is never going to, to start working through this. So effective leadership is really key. And when we say effective, notice we don't say that leadership needs to spend 100% of their time doing this. This isn't something that's going to overwhelm a leader to do. It's just a matter of, you know, doing a few minutes each day, if you will, of kind of beating the drum. One of the other things that we consistently find in organizations that, that do improvement work in a sustained manner is that they, they're using some kind of methodology. So, I mean, it's, it's probably no surprise to anyone that, you know, you wrote a book called Lean Healthcare. Um, we, the company is, you know, based on the word Kaizen. So certainly we, we subscribe to many of those views, but if if your organization is just focusing on a part of that, maybe they're really learning how to do A3s or PDSA, or they're really Six Sigma focused, that's great. The important thing isn't kind of what and which methodology it is. The important thing is that it's done in a systematic way and that it doesn't feel like it's the flavor of the month, that you kind of really sink in and kind of hunker down and say, you know, this is this is how we do things. And then the third component of that is some sort of enabling technology. As as organizations become larger, as there's multi-site, and um, if there's an attempt to try to um, really spread this work over an entire um, organization, we have technology today um, that can really make this a lot easier. So we we think of doing continuous improvement. Um, I think kind of applying the PDSA mindset to actually implementing this makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And so when we're when we're going through this, it's you know we you certainly don't want to you know start it you know on Monday you have the idea and then start it that afternoon. You certainly want to do some planning, get people on board. Um, we're going to talk about the P though <laughs> a little bit. Then after after you've done some planning and you start implementing your system. You, you you need to be reflective constantly. You need to say, hey, we're doing this now. Let's study it. What can we tweak? What can we do better? And then after we've come to those conclusions, do a little adjusting. Yeah. Now, and, and you're going to do this cycle over and over, and you're going to be applying it, obviously, to the things that you're improving. The little improvements. The little yeah. improvements. But you can actually apply it to the system of improvement that you're implementing as well. Yeah. So let's not forget that. Um, I don't think anyone in, in this crowd is is going to be you know, not familiar with this concept. And, and then once you think about it, oh, applying this concept to the system itself and to the methodology makes sense. What we see here, though, Mark, a lot of the times is people get stuck in the P part. You know, we talk to people, and, and they've been planning for months now. Plan and plan and talk and discuss and meet and coordinate and plan some more. And yeah. at the end of the day, that's not a cycle. That, that's not You can't learn until you do. You know, yep. learning meaning the, the implementation of learning, the adjusting. So you have to go through this process. So certainly we, we want you to plan because it's going back to the analogy of the wave. You're not going to, you know, jump in the water, I guess, unless you're an expert surfer. Um, you're going to you're gonna watch the waves coming through. You're going to study them a little bit. But then eventually you're going to say, okay, I'm taking this wave right here. And then you can adjust from there. So certainly um, don't get caught in the pee part. Because you might fall off. I mean, I, I, if you're going you're gonna to surf, you're going to try a wave, you're, you're going to fall off and right. hopefully not hurt yourself. And you're going to learn from it. You're right. going to do better. And I think, you know, sometimes people get so hung up on saying, well, I don't want to start until I know this is going to go perfectly. And, and nobody can ever um, really um, get started that way. And, and There's going to be little mistakes. And, and I think that the, the longer you plan, the more weight and emphasis gets put into it. Mm -hmm. 
and so they, you, it's kind of like when you get up on the edge of a diving board and you start thinking more and more and more. Eventually, <laughs> yeah. you're just like, you're going to turn around and walk off the yeah, diving board. You think of all the things that could go could wrong. Could go wrong. <laughs> so don't get hung up in the yeah. planning. So really kind of there, you know, the perfection is attained by attaining perfection. You'll never get there. And you'll get there over time, essentially. And you're going to get better over time, especially if you're applying mm-hmm. Um, the principles of kind of studying what you're doing and then adjusting. So I think you, you get what we're saying. Do some planning, but start and, and, and move forward. Yeah. So, you know, in, in the beginning, even before, let's say we've reached this point where you have a big wave of ideas. Um, we, we, we talk to people. We may, you know, we're trying to build a culture, but it might start off as an initiative. So, okay, we want your ideas. We want you to identify problems. We want you to identify opportunities for improvement. And when things get started, it might look like this. If, if people's initial enabling technology is a bulletin board and note cards, they this is a, a real picture of a board at a, a transplant institute that I worked with. And you can see in the very first two days, they had generated 20-some ideas. And you see things in the new ideas column. There's some that they were actually starting to do. And there were some that they were already in, a, in good agreement of being ready to do them. So one of the important things early on in an ongoing basis is to talk to people, um, discussing their ideas, discussing the problems. Don't let sit, things sit on the board in a more you know, visual form of a suggestion box where you know, things would sit for weeks or months in the suggestion box. We want visibility because that puts some pre- positive pressure on us uh, to go ahead and move things forward. And, and I've always seen, again, the, the bottleneck is not a lack of ideas. If right. you ask people, people might shrug their shoulders and think about it, or they'll say, oh, wow, you're finally asking me. Yeah, here's five things right. that I'd like to be involved in. So we see an initial wave that might look like this, or might look like this. So um, this is a, a screenshot from our Kinexus system as used by one of our manufacturing customers. Their first 60 days, as you see in this chart, shows a blue line of their submitted ideas. This is what their initial wave looks like, this blue line. That's pretty much you know, a linear curve. They're, they're soliciting ideas. They're putting it in the system. I think it's really important to notice the red line of getting things uh, completed and implemented doesn't lag too far behind the blue line. There's a little bit of a growing gap, but that's probably one of their initial points of learning and reflection. It's good that they're not letting ideas sit forever, but maybe initially here, maybe they are a bit overwhelmed because the blue line is going up faster than the red line. And, and let me show you an example of that wave being bigger. Here's another one of our, our, our customers, but and you'll notice, you know, they they released, um, you know, the the floodgates, if you will, and you get that really steep blue line coming up. And, and then what you're going to end up seeing, though, how do you get to that river? And, and you're going to see this. So don't get don't get overwhelmed. But but creating the behaviors that we're going to start talking about um, are, is going to create that river where you're going to get this kind of nice, steady stream, because that's what we're really looking for. Yeah. You know, we're not looking to do this for three months and then stop. Yeah. We're looking to do this into infinity. essentially. And, and I think there's some cases where there's that initial burst of all those pent up ideas. Right. And then you get in some sort of steady state. That's a bit of a flow. We're going to so, show some more charts and data later. Sometimes you see just a very continued linear yeah. progression where maybe it wasn't such a big crushing wave that right. it started off as a nice steadily flowing river that they just maintained. But not addressing this wave correctly. And we've now seen plenty of patterns where people are addressing it correctly. Not addressing this wave correctly ends up turning into this where it flatlines, and that's when it becomes a desert. So what we're going to talk about is how do you go from that wave into that river, if you will, without kind of plateauing or, out into the desert. Or keep, or keep surfing the wave. Or keep surfing the wave. And we actually are going to show some charts of, uh, of some, some serious wave surfing. Yeah. So. so, you know, in the beginning, we're, we're asking people for their ideas. We're, we're finally engaging people in improvement. And the question that almost always gets asked, I always just kind of wait for it, and I know it's going to come within the first couple of days or in the first week. Nobody's going to ask if this Kaizen approach or this employee engagement approach, continuous improvement, is that going to work or not? Um, what people do ask is some variation of this question. How do we know our leaders won't get bored with this? Because they've been through programs of the month. They've seen leadership get real excited about something, 
and then it fades after a couple of months. And the employees are, are, are saying, well, you know, they want that sustained improvement. They know things are getting better. That initial wave of excitement, if they're going to kind of jump in to the pool, I'm mm-hmm. mixing more water analogies. If they're going <laughs> to jump in, they want to make sure that management's not going to drain the pool. They're going to enjoy swimming around and, and well, I don't know, maybe it's a hot tub. <laughs> but they're going to enjoy the water. They don't want it pulled out from under them. So to prevent this idea of drought, which I think leaders should be very concerned with and employees are concerned with. Once we've started and we've set an expectation that we want your involvement, we're going to fix things together, we're going to make things better, there's certain key things we need to do. So these are the, the next five points we're going to cover. One is about discussing ideas constructively with employees in a collaborative way. Second is prioritizing ideas, and maybe to be a bit challenging to ask if that's even necessary, Mm. if we go about this in a certain way. Assigning responsibility for improvement work. As this wave has come in, how do we get things done? Uh, Fourth, creating time for improvement. And then fifth, tracking improvement as we go. We want to uh, create that smooth flowing river of ideas. They aren't coming in and hitting a dam, but they're continuing the flow. This analogy keeps going. <laughs> Instead of hitting a dam, it keeps flowing um, to um, in- implementation bay. And the <laughs> kind of the abstract concept I think all of this really relates to is building up trust. Mm-hmm. You know, how are you going to be building up trust with the frontline employees that they know? You know, the leader is not going to drain the pool, that the leader's got their back and that this is actually going to become something that you guys do in a continuous basis. Yeah. And that lack of trust, that's one of the key reasons why sometimes people won't let that idea come out of their head through their mouth. They're going to say, I'm going to hold on to this idea until I know it's safe to do so. So we want to talk about um, discussing ideas. Uh, And it starts really with asking for ideas. When we Mm. try to build this wave, We want to ask and we want to make sure that we ask in the right way, um, that we engage and even inspire people. We want to talk about why improvement is important. What what challenges are we trying to solve? What goals are we trying to reach within the organization? And I was going to say, you know, this is a little bit where you get into the coaching. And I don't know Mm -hmm. if we're going to specifically mention this point, but, you know, coaching people to say, hey, you know, we're not looking for... um, um, really expensive, high technology. We're looking for small, low cost kind of things that you can control in your area. Right. So you're kind of coaching them in the right direction, if yeah. you will, that will lead to there being success for their ideas. Yeah. That of of yeah. what we're, uh, what you're asking for. Right. We, we cover this a lot more in the previous 25 right. Leadership right. Behaviors mm-hmm. webinar, which is part of the, the Gemba Academy webinar library of, of asking not for big, huge ideas, but asking for smaller improvements, uh, especially initially asking for improvements that matter. And I think another thing that's important is that we have to Mm. not just demand improvement or not just set a quota or a target. We can't go in a heavy-handed way, say something like, hey, our organization's broken and you all need to do two improvements this month. Because what will happen is people will get focused on that quota and that Mm -hmm. target and they might pick really small, insignificant things uh, just to say, hey, I did my two, get off my back. That's not a tone and a culture. Or on the other, they might hold back something they have because they're like, oh, well, I've got a quota coming up next quarter. I need to hold this yeah, idea Yeah, I back. have three ideas, but right. I'm going to save one of them right, for right. later. Yeah. So we want yeah. to make sure that we're focused on, on the improvement. And, and you can get a lot of improvement without setting targets and quotas. And another important thing to engage people is not just asking for cost reduction. So we're not asking for big million-dollar ideas, and we're asking for more than uh, a large number of small cost improvements. We need to talk about all the things that matter for people. So there was a question that came in in advance uh, through the web. You know, what's the, what's the way to motivate people to do a Kaizen idea, and how do you approach or manage what's in it for me? I, I, Greg, yeah. You know, you? I think the, the, the tactic I've found the most success with is simply asking people to tell about what frustrates them at work, what's important to you. Intrinsically, people want to do their job better. So I'm an ER doctor, right? So, you know, intrinsically, if you ask a tech or a nurse or a doctor, um, you know, do you want to provide the best patient care possible? Absolutely. That's why people went into this line of work. And people hate inefficiency. So if you if you really cater to those elements and say, just, I would tell people, if you're frustrated at work, there's probably an underlying opportunity for improvement there. Just stop and think for a second. 
and 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 instead of you know making that frustration something negative right which negativity spreads stop and actually you know just jot it down even if you don't have a solution for it that's not the point just create some of that negative energy into something positive and you're going to find people are going to be really really keen people you know people love talking about themselves people like making things easier for yep. themselves so really just ask people hey we want to make your job easier tell us and you can tell greg mr amai's book is up on the shelf above his shoulder you can tell his influence there and you know that that idea of starting with what matters to Great you book. what's in it for me needs to be in alignment with what's in it for the customers what's right. in it for the organization that requires that underlying trust where right. people need to feel confident i can bring ideas forward and it's not going to lead to me or other people losing their jobs as a direct result we want to find that shared alignment what's in it for me what's in it for um everybody and and those are things that really motivate people make the workplace less frustrating that might lead to cost reduction right as, well, as we we don't I mean, it's not a might. I mean, we've seen it, it over and over. Yeah. It will. We just know certain patterns and certain outcomes uh, that occur. So there's no question. So as as we talk with people, we found it's very important not just to talk about ideas, but to talk about problems and ideas or opportunities and ideas. So, you know, if it if it's a, a card like you know, Joe Schwartz and I wrote about in our book, it has a, a spot for a problem and idea. It's not a suggestion box slip that just says, what's your suggestion? Right. And in Kinexus, there's a, a similar prompting of a title for an opportunity for improvement. What's the description of the opportunity? And there's also a box for a proposed solution. And it says optional because we want people to bring opportunities and problems forward, even if they don't know how to solve it, because then we're going to discuss that and talk about that within the team. That's where the, the solution, that's where the, that systematic methodology we're talking about comes from, you know? Yeah. Um. And so this is a real, real key. So when we're talking about discussion um, in general, we're talking about uh, really not implementing a suggestion system that's a suggestion box, right? The suggestion box is very um, accept-reject. Um, and whereas if you're developing a culture of continuous improvement, the, the initial entry, that initial opportunity for improvement, that initial idea, that initial problem, it's just the beginning. And when you move into the kind of committee, you know, approach where you're either going to vote things up or down, you end up creating a situation that's not going to be sustained. Right. And when it's um, essentially what we found is that in those type of um, idea systems or in those type of suggestion systems, the implementation rate is very low. Right. It can be somewhere even you know. So they get a flood of, of ideas and they don't implement. Very right. Many. Then they and just they either. just you know implement a couple out of a thousand, and and that's just going to kill things in general. Whereas if you look at successful organizations, they're going to end up having eighty percent, ninety percent, ninety five percent implemented ideas, implemented opportunities for improvement. So really that yeah, whole okay. that whole collaborative process is going to be a matter of discussing and proposing countermeasures. Hey, maybe we can't do this, but what about that? And and then and then proposing even alternate countermeasures. And oftentimes that whole discussion where you might have brought up the problem I might have said, wow, that's a real problem. I don't really know the solution. And in bringing it to the team, someone else on the team can end up having that. And you end up creating um, a situation where it's going to sustain that type of behavior. Right. Because you know, when we talk about um, this collaborative process, and, and it might be a manager coaching an employee one-on-one, or it might be a team, uh, team meeting and looking at um, ideas that are in um, their, their Kinexus system. There's this discussion. This improvement work is very rarely ever... Uh, a solo activity. Right. Um, when we talk later about assigning responsibility, there's still going to be collaboration, even if somebody that workload is being distributed within a team. And when we have a lot of discussion, we want and we we see very positive cycles. So we the more discussion that we have, reinforcing thank you for your idea, we're working on it, leads to more ideas being generated. More idea generation leads to more discussion. So we don't want just a loop of more and more talking. But as we have more and more discussion, we're also then going to get more implementation. As we get people's ideas, as things are moving forward, we're getting more people involved. 
implementing ideas leads then to more idea generation. So we're building momentum. We're building energy in the organization because we're working toward making things happen. And this is a cycle we've seen time. There's nothing magical here. This is a cycle we've seen time and time again. When you apply these this approach, you're going to see this. Yeah. So rather than rejecting bad ideas, you want to talk to this? Yeah, so we, Mark and I like to think of, you know, the 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 best way to handle, and I'm going to, and, and notice we quote, quote unquote, bad, ideas. bad ideas. The worst way you can actually do it is just simply blow it off. Just never address it. Um, don't respond to it. Um, that's the last time that person is going to engage in improvement work. The The next best or next worst slightly thing, better. slightly better, but, worse. <laughs> but still we would, we would put in the red category of things not to do is just simply say, no, we're not going to do that. That's not, not what we're going to do. Now you start moving into type of behaviors that are going to lead to sustained behavior by doing things like, you know, we can't do that because of X, Y, and Z. So applying this into a, a, an, an emergency medicine setting in the ER, oftentimes there might be some big underlying redesign or big project or you're building a new a wing to the hospital and someone has an idea that really relates to kind of the the old system right. <laughs> and in next week there's going to be a huge change that would be a really great example for you know why you can't do it now right. but but really the thing that we see that leads to more and more is is really going back to the person identifying the problem taking it to the team and figuring out is there something that we can do, even if we can't address the entire problem, is there something we can do in the interim that gets us more in the right direction? Right. And so the, the key point, I think, from this section is just to communicate, communicate, yep. communicate in different ways. Face-to-face, one-on-one, team meetings, electronically, especially when we have people in different shifts. That's you know, certainly Greg's world. Um, night shift of the ER. We need to get everybody engaged right. and discuss um, as broadly as is necessary to get ideas and, and to help get things implemented. So the second thing we want to talk about is prioritization. Now, I'm going to try to sort of challenge this and say, well, you know, people always talk about, we get this flood of ideas, we must prioritize them, decide what to implement first or what to implement. So I want to step back and say, well, wait a minute, prioritization is a countermeasure or a solution to a problem. Mm -hmm. What is the underlying problem? What is the problem statement? And that problem statement usually, if we, I think, articulate it, say, well, we have too many ideas that came in. We can't can't implement them all this week, so we have to prioritize what's the most impactful, which is the biggest cost saver, which is the easiest, which uh, ties to this year's goals. And the problem when we prioritize and we say things are low priority, now we're discouraging people and disengaging them. And they're gonna be less likely to say, well, you asked for ideas, you don't like my ideas, so forget about it. Um, And so one thing I like to challenge is the general practice of prioritization, or even the challenge, why do we need a pick chart? I've never put a pick chart in place, I know it's a very common practice where you know I, the thinking is is good. Looking at these these quadrants, high effort, low effort, high impact, low impact of what's what's possible. What are we definitely going to implement? What would be a challenge because it's high impact but high effort? And what do we kibosh or, or kill the high effort, low impact? And I think the problem with the pick chart is the underlying assumption mm-hmm. that we have bottlenecks in the improvement process. Mm-hmm. If everything if something is high effort, a different problem is that we assume that that's not fixable. So if something is, well, a high effort problem, it doesn't necessarily just have to be put on hold. It's when you pigeonhole it. Cast yeah. aside yeah. is kiboshed. What we need to do instead is work towards alternatives that might be less effort. So these red arrows going to the left would be this collaborative discussion process that instead of saying, well, that's too complicated, end of story, we're going to talk and see if we can find something that's easier that still has a high impact, something that's, it might be less effort and a little bit less impact, but that's better than doing nothing. And I think we really need to challenge this process a little bit. And I think the key point is if we distribute the improvement workload more broadly and we find smaller, simpler things to implement, Mm -hmm. then we don't have to spend as much time prioritizing. If a team's gonna spend an hour a week prioritizing, I'd rather have them spend an hour a week working on actual improvement instead of moving things around and prioritizing. So it's like I think when the, the priority becomes a pigeonhole and that's the end versus kind of that, that moving through. Mm-hmm. 
So I want to talk about assigning, and this is something that, that we see a lot in organizations that are kind of moving into this mindset where there's this thought that, you know, ideas, opportunities for improvements, OIs come into the system and the manager implements them all. There's the bottleneck. Bottleneck, right? And, and not only is it a bottleneck, not only is it not collaborative, not only not communicative, but it ends up not empowering the very people that you want to empower. So instead of the manager implementing them all, the manager should be reaching out to the frontline staff, and the best person to reach out to is the person that actually submitted right. the op opportunity for improvement. Now, it can't always be like that, and, and I think I've seen it where that's been a double-edged sword where you kind of throw it back in the lap of the person that implemented it. They don't have the power to implement it. Yeah. They don't understand. They don't have the tool set, whatever, and then they feel like, oh, well, I, I don't know what to do that but right now. But in many, many cases, you'd be amazed right. at how much you can bring in the person that submitted it into it. And yeah. instead of thinking of this as one big arrow, think of this as lots of small arrows moving over. Yeah. And, and, and I love this, I, I love this visualization because it really, it's a great example of why you want a coach looking for small, low cost, low risk mm -hmm. ideas because that's something that you can really empower a frontline worker to do. So have not very few people implementing all of them, but try to really distribute that work. Yeah. And when you're assigning improvement work, there's a couple of things that you should be thinking about, okay? Well, who's the best person to investigate it? Do we need to collect data? Yeah. Should we bring in a quality person because um, there's this is a, a bit higher risk in, in getting some, what about um, testing some countermeasures? And, and then how are we going to evaluate the countermeasure? So based on kind of the complexity of the problem, what your end goal is, and thinking through this, you can all of a sudden see who needs to be brought in to help solve it. Right. And it may not be just one person. Yeah. You, you might realize it needs to be the team of three people because each person on that team is bringing something else to the table. And, and sometimes you have people that love pointing out problems, mm -hmm. and then there's other people that have trouble generating the ideas, but once right. they see them, they come up with, with ideas. And so there's often a lot of handoffs, and I think where this becomes a much more collaborative process within a team or between employee and manager. Um, as Greg was saying, we're not just dumping things on right. the staff. We have to work together with and, them. And I think that's where you know technology can really help this process because it becomes really easy to see patterns. And you can see, oh, wow, you know, when Mark is collaborating on OIs, he's really doing this very well. And, and you can kind of create teams and form teams very easily. Yeah. And, and, and people are off, managers are often scared. They say, well, what if my people aren't capable? Right. Well, come on, give them a chance. If sure. they're not capable, you know, it's your job to help develop them. Um, as Greg was saying, they can usually do more than you thought, or at least give them yep. a chance. Use that PDSA mindset um, and, and recognize that there's different capabilities within your team. Some people, you just say, hey, go work on this, and they can go and do it. Other people are going to need more coaching and have more questions. They might be a little scared, too. Sure, and, and that's, I think, really where you know, a process excellent team or a quality department team or an external consultant can really help give people confidence by educating them on good problem-solving techniques. Yeah, so I think you know, our key point from this section is don't let the manager be the bottleneck, and then you know, don't just offload that into one key staff member being the bottleneck as well. So back to that point of, of bottlenecks and creating time, um, that we hear this a lot. Mm -hmm. we, we don't have time for improvement, whether it's managers or staff or both. And I think we need to shift from that statement being an excuse to being a problem. So when people say, we don't have time for improvement, is that an excuse where, well, ah, yeah, you know, right, let's just give up. We don't have time? Ah, forget about it. Right, Sorry right, we ever right. brought that up. Or is it a problem, maybe one of the first problems, that we go figure out how to solve? So a problem. We don't have time to do improvement. Hey, team, what are your ideas about that? Right. Well, maybe um, you know we, we reduce uh, the length of the staff meeting because that's just sharing information, and that's information that could be distributed on paper. How about we use that time for right. improvement instead? So I think we need to go... And think about how to create time. My my image there is I'm too busy fighting fires to actually create time to yeah. prevent the fires. Yeah, <laughs> That's exactly. my image. But I think you know we have to intentionally you know a lot of times you know, people get rewarded for that firefighting, and we can instead think about rewarding people for doing improvement work. So intentionally creating time is a key. Um, the the transplant institute that I worked with, the chair of their department, who's you know a world renowned transplant surgeon. You think if anyone would be focused on the actual work, it would be him. 
but he was also really, um, really interested in the improvement work and creating that culture, at least within the Transplant Institute. And he said quite publicly to all of his managers and all of his staff, what you see here on screen, that nobody will be criticized for taking 20 minutes away from their regular work to work on improvement work. And I assure you of that. Mm -hmm. And he made the point. It's like, look, we, there, we could... We could choose to be here 18 hours a day working. There's such a backlog of patients who need our help, but at some point we choose to go home. And at the same time, we can choose to take time for improvement. Otherwise, we don't have a fighting chance of being able to take care of more patients. And I think it was great that Le he was emphasizing Leadership. That. Leadership. Um, if you go to Toyota, you know, in San Antonio, we have a Toyota plant. I take healthcare people there. And one of the questions a healthcare student asked, um, you know, they hear a lot about Kaizen, and they said, well, how do you make time for Kaizen? People look really busy building trucks. And for one, they said, well, if we have downtime, we work on improvement. You know, mm -hmm. I'm going to throw a, throw a rock at hospitals. Hospitals yeah. would probably send people home early to oh, save money right. or, instead of investing in improvement. Oftentimes, in the, you know, in the middle of a night shift, um, sometimes things will slow down. That's a perfect opportunity if you have an engaged and empowered workforce for them to work on um, fixing problems. Right. Well, and so, you know, what Toyota says, um, you know, how do you make time for improvement? Well, if we have the hourly employee tour guide said, well, if we have an idea and our leader thinks it's worth working on, they approve overtime for us. So they're, right. they're making that investment. They're making that choice that they're going to develop people and make improvements happen. Um, they, they're not playing the victim. They're figuring out how to make that happen. Absolutely. So yeah. I think the key point here is that it's, it's often easier to create a little bit of time for a lot of people than it is to create a big, huge block of time for one person. So on that point, we had a question come in in advance about how do you balance doing the work and improving the work? That there's a sense that, you know, we have so many OIs that have come in, we have to work on them, but we also have to do the work. I think the transplant sur surgeon uh, said, well, we, we have to do enough, we have to do enough regular work, but their, their work wasn't always time sensitive the way it is in an emergency department. It is, in, but in a different way. Mm -hmm. We can choose to make time. In the ED, you're looking for that time that's naturally there when the patients aren't Right, there. and, and right. it and it it exists. I think in any, if you are thinking of looking for that opportunity, you're going to find it in any system you apply. Yeah. You can work to make it happen. And so the last thing we want to cover here is about how to track how to tra ideas. So what I what I want to show here is um, by by having a really good understanding of what your metrics look like, then um, you're really going to be able to address things. So one of the things we always hear about is, hey, we have a really difficult time following up on ideas. And I can guarantee you one of the biggest principles that's important is to make sure you're responding to all of them. And hopefully you're implementing as many as you can. And if you are never going to implement anything or if you're only addressing or implementing half of them, that's, a non, that's an activity and a behavior that will create in um, things that are not being sustained. So one of the questions that we, we had pre-webinar pre was, how do you ensure that a project champion makes it a priority to implement and complete a project? And that, that's where tracking of That's of where I'm tracking, you know, ideas. and I think that's yeah. one of the primary reasons that, that we built Kinexus to solve that problem and to help solve that problem of making sure that things are visible, that things are transparent. It's very easy to see who's working on what and by when. And uh, another comment was, you know, we've implemented a poise suggestion program for the last six months. We've been successful. However, the struggle has been to get the designated um, project champion to ensure that the project is completed. And and I think that that really kind of focusing on small, low cost, low risk, that's a mantra you'll hear me say a lot, mm -hmm. is really going to help make sure things are completed and implemented, number one. But I two, two, I think that's where leadership comes in. And right. if leadership says, hey, this is important, you know, Mark, you, we, you said we were going to do this by last Friday. What what can we do to help you? We feel like this is an important thing. All of a sudden, that, that shift um, it gets refocused. Yeah, so let, we're going to wrap up some of this quickly and leave time for q and I'm going to skip a question okay. there. Um, but, you know, we want to track results, both categorizing things and quantifying things. Safety, quality, right. satisfaction, engagement, cost and revenue, time savings. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think the key point, we want to share some data here before we end the Q&A. You know, you have to show progress. Mm -hmm. We have to not just collect ideas, but we have to show people that we're implementing things. That drives more improvement. And we need to sustain that over time. If we get more improvement more quickly, that's going to lead to more impact for the organization. Making progress leads to more ideas because of those positive cycles. And we just want to show a few charts that, that illustrate yep. some of those. Perfect. This. So what we're looking at here 
is we're looking at a manufacturing organization for 60 days. And so you might be thinking, okay, well, what happened after this part? We, we actually showed this earlier on in the webinar. And if you take a look, this is actually what happened. So the wave this, grew. The wave like actually <laughs> grew in this case. And you might be saying, oh, well, um, why did the wave grow? In, in, in this case, it had to do with the fact that they were actually um, adding more and more people to the system. And uh, it wasn't that, you know, every single individual was spending, you know, more and more percentage of their time doing improvement work, but more people were getting added. And so you might ask at this point, well, what happens even after, after this point? And take a look. They're able to sustain that, that flow, um, that flow of, of um, improvement work. So this is very, very, very attainable for any organization to do with just some um, a behavior and discipline around it. Not, not that every organization is able to do this. I want to show you um, another a customer, and this is where we're tracking and having visibility is so important. And, and what we have here is we actually know that right at the at that mark where where things trailed off was a leadership change. Right. The new leader that came on ended up not doing the same type of leadership behaviors and not believing in continuous improvement. And so you see everything trail off. And, and what's amazing... Yeah, you see, you see the lost potential here. Mm -hmm. of if that line had continued, um, you could extrapolate. They would have implemented 150 more yeah. opportunities for improvement. If they were saving from their data 620 each, that's $100,000. And that's just scratching the surface of just, the lost right. potential. They're not right. getting quality improvement. Employee engagement is probably Point going down. Yep, yep. Um, we want to avoid that. So I think kind of, you know, doing this in a way where things can be tracked, you're able to really jump on things really early and you're able to identify, you're able to do your PDSA cycle a lot better in your improvement program. And this is a great example of that. Um, just to show another organization for 60 days, this is the wave, right? So what happens after this? So we actually add more people into the system and you can see an inflection point at day 60. And then you can see an inflection point right here at the end where even more people are added to the system. And you can really get that, you know, that acceleration. And being able to see those charts to be able to see which departments, and this right. is very high level. You could also look more granularly and see some departments are really taking off. Some departments have flatlined. And as leaders, not go yell, not go remind them of some target or quota, but to go and work together with them as leaders to figure out what do we need to do um, to, to make that level of improvement happen again. How do we make those ideas flow like a river? Right. That's, I think, the key question and the key challenge. So I think we do have right about 15 minutes uh, for Q&A. Um, we'll invite you on, on behalf of, of Greg and myself. Uh, here, you know, here's our website. We have a blog that is new, I think, from the last time we did a webinar for Gemba Academy. Um, we have some of our own webinars. You can find us on social media. Oh, let's see, here's an opportunity for improvement. It's linkedin.com slash something. If you search Kinexus on LinkedIn, you can find, You'll find us it. <laughs> there as well. So there's a defect in the slide. But um, on that note, we'll we'll do some Q&A. Sounds great. <laughs> hey, Mark, by the way, I loved, I loved how smooth you were when that horn was honking over there. It was incredible. So I was like... You're like, yeah, Greg, your, your, your car got towed just now, but sorry. <laughs> Might have been my car. Oh, well. Yeah, it's an old car. All right. Well, great job, guys. We've got tons of questions here. So um, we'll, we'll get through as many as we can. And then uh, I know Mark and Greg are great about uh, following up with folks. So if we don't get to your question, um, we'll do our best to, uh, to respond, um, perhaps offline. I am going to actually start with a Twitter question. I'm reading it off my phone. I've... Jessica has been forwarding them to me. So uh, the first one is from Carrie, and uh, she asks, what is the best way to respond to a physician who questions if improvement is even necessary? Those pesky physicians, Greg, Dr. Greg. <laughs> well, here, let me say, while he's thinking and smiling, I mean, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the engineer, not the doctor. Um, I, I mean, I look at it and say, <laughs> finish your sip of water. Doctors are people, too. Mm -hmm. And when we talk, I hear a lot of organizations talk about how do we engage physicians and what's, how do you engage anybody? I mean, there, you know, there's some different dynamics, but right. I think we ask people what problems do you want to solve? There's, re, you know, we see a lot of residents using the system now. Yeah. And, um, that's a, I honestly can say that I have not encountered that. Um, I, I would say that I think when physicians are, um, brought, 
with the question of, you know, what frustrates you about your day? Have you ever ordered a lab? It didn't come up. Have you ever waited on a patient? Has something ever gone wrong with any patient you've ever seen? I think a physician would have a hard time saying, <laughs> yeah. no, everything has worked perfectly in my entire career. What are you talking about? You know? And, um, so I think, I think simply kind of one framing it in that. I think the, the implicit, um, um, the implicit uh, question or what's underlying that question is, I think physicians really discourage, really dislike being told what they need to improve on. But so does everybody. Right. And so yeah. I think that's really, hey, whoa, whoa, wait, what, why, why, why are you saying I need to improve? And I think kind of reframing that question is, is really what's underlying that yeah. area versus kind of this accusatory, we need to improve. Right. Um, and, and physicians love data. I mean, <laughs> that's just the bottom line. And quite frankly, if you have a physician, or a organization that is meeting their metrics and they're at the 99th percentile of everything, you know, maybe just yeah. move to another area of your organization yeah. that's not at the 99th percentile, but you're not going to find a place that's always at the 99th percentile. I, I think you know? some doc, I mean, doctors politically in a lot of environments, they have more of an ability to say no right. to things. But that doesn't mean they can't, and usually it's because they're not being engaged. And they're also, I think, maybe more so than the average um, hospital employee, they're very, very competitive. Right. So if you show them that data sure. and sure. show them something that they can help drive improvement in, they'll, they'll do it. And, and, and I think when you show them data and they say, oh, well, you know, um, you know, what your time from diagnosis of pneumonia to antibiotic, show me the data that that's important. And, and, and if there isn't any data, then just simply ask me, well, what, what is a metric that's important to you? Yeah. You know, what do you feel that is important? And then kind of working. So I think it's all about kind of repositioning everything to make them the center of what is being talked about. I think that that kind of resistance is the kind of engaging that person saying, oh, you need to improve because you're doing these things bad. Yeah. And at first, I think in, in Kaizen, and it's not just the doctors, it's easier at first sometimes for people to point fingers at, right. you know, they're identifying problems. So here's what I need you to fix. Right. But then once yes. you engage them in that process, they'll come around more often than not, doctors or otherwise, to look at their own work and their own practices. And I think that's a healthy progression that people go through. All right, very good. Okay, so let's go to the next question from Jack. Um, and Jack asked this earlier in the webinar. Um, is, and he asked, is, if, is there any evidence that a technology enabler is better than other methods to spread improvement? We have a lot of customer stories and a lot of data. I mean, we have one healthcare customer in particular that looks at their before and after data and says point blank. When they were doing Kaizen using kind of, you know, analog, manual technologies, if you will, to when they started using software that they implemented a higher percentage, percentage of their ideas and, and they were implementing them quicker, right. which are part of those things that drive more improvements. And, and you know, so we, we do have some good before and after examples and a lot of customer data. And, and there's just, so certainly there's the more improvements and quicker, but there's also um, the idea of, well, how do you spread an idea beyond, uh, you know, 20, 100 people that are in that workplace? Yeah. How do you get people from different sites or different places? How do you remember things from three years ago when things are worked on? Um, how do you kind of get that real, you know, time view of, oh, well, this department all of a sudden something changed in? So um, certainly, uh, certainly a lot of a recurring um, um, pieces of feedback that we're getting that people getting, we've heard the story um, over and over, oh, we tried to do this with Excel before. We could just never get the momentum around it or the visibility. Yeah, and I think so. you know we we practice what we preach, or at least we try to. And I think one of those things is that there are you know real problems that the the Kinexus software addresses, as opposed to saying, well, we're going to do software and think it's just a quick fix, silver bullet, does everything. Mm -hmm. No, it's it's one piece of one piece. that triangle. Yeah. And um, yeah, we'd be happy to talk to anyone who wants to chat mm -hmm. about that more. Great. All right. So Debbie had a question. What about um, advice to teams who tend to pass pass over the planning phase? And I think she means planning in, in the spirit of PD, PDCA, PDSA. Advi well, I guess the simple advice is don't do that. <laughs> but I mean, I think I step back and ask and ask people to reflect, you know, what happens if we're jumping right into do, if we're jumping to a solution um, on the whole, are we less effective? 
Are things getting dragged out because we don't have good consensus around um, what to do? I mean, I would ask people to really look at their own, to apply that PDSA thinking and reflect on, okay, well, if we're struggling with improvement in some way and someone says, why, we're talking about causes and root causes, someone suggests, well, maybe it's because we're jumping to solutions. Mm -hmm. Well, then we can figure out how do we build some process in place to do less of that and then let's measure, are we getting more ideas implemented? Are they, are they more successful? Are they having a bigger impact? I mean, it's, it's interesting. I think we see the, the opposite of that more than, than the question. We see a lot of planning and it's just too much planning and you're like, okay, guys, we gotta just, we gotta start doing something. Yeah. I mean, I've, you know? I've seen hospitals that have, you know, the, the unit based council meeting, it gets together and basically just talks about problems one hour every month. Mm -hmm. And when they turn that time into improvement time in more of a Kaizen model, they start unleashing all sorts of improvement. They're not just talking about the same issues every month. It, it's a more active, ongoing process. Yeah, kind of in reflection, I'm wondering if the question has to do with, you know, people, kind of that knee-jerk answer. To, oh, we had this, oh, we just knee-jerk. We're not going to even plan or think about it. But I think that the, if, you, if you're really doing the D and, you know, um, you're, if you're really doing the S and the A part of that cycle, you're going to catch, and if people jump to the wrong conclusion initially, the wrong conclusion, I put that in right, quotes, right. if the data should show that. I mean, yeah. the, the study okay. should show and, that. And the study, so. the study phase is not just confirming, did we get the results we wanted or not, but it's also to reflect on the process. And so part of that reflection on any particular improvement might be, well, why, why did we talk about that so long before going and testing something? Or the reflection might be the opposite. Boy, uh, we, we jumped in and we really tried something in. and it didn't work and we should, we should have spent a little more time discussing. I think some of that becomes self-adjusting and as people get more mature with Kaizen and continuous improvement, they, they, they strike the balance. There's some improvements that lend themselves very quickly. Like if there's yeah. kind of a, an obvious low cost, low risk, undoable solution, you want to be biased towards, okay, well, let's just test it Do and it. see what happens. Right. If, um, if it's something more complex or more risky or involves more people, we're going to do more plans. So there's, there's no easy answer to how much time should you spend in the plan phase? Right. Well, it depends. Right. Okay. Mark had a question. Um, your thoughts about asking employees to focus on problems their team can solve and, and ideas for their work area versus how, how someone else can do their job better. That, that's a really important factor. And, and if people, when you're first asking for ideas, I think you can try to set expectations. We want to start with the small things that we can implement because we're building capabilities and getting better at this. And as ideas are coming in that are kind of blamey or finger pointing, mm -hmm. try to either reframe it and say, well, what can we do about that problem? Or let's take that and, and let's shift it and transfer it to a different department. And now let's also come up with ideas that we can implement. Yeah, and I think it's probably more important early on in the life cycle of developing this type of work. At the beginning, if we immediately go into a pointing culture, then it's going to be negative, you know, right. whereas I think if an organization was doing this type of work for a little bit longer, it becomes a little bit easier to say, hey, what about this over here? We want to work collaboratively with you on it. We're not right. kind of pointing fingers. And, and as so. things go over time, people, someone's going to identify a problem that is a really big, important systemic problem. And through the Kaizen process, that might then bubble up to become a Kaizen event. Right. Or it might be a project or a strategic initiative. And you know, the role of leaders is to help sort of uh, triage and decide what's local, simple, what's, what's broader, and, and sort of trying to apply the right level of um, improvement methodology to the right type of problem. So these are all great questions, but I think I have the best one here. And this one is is really for uh, Dr. Greg. And uh, Katie wants to know where she can get a T-shirt like that. Ha! <laughs> New revenue stream. <laughs> this is uh, this was a, a, a one-off right now from uh, as a gift for Mark. So um, we'll work on that. You can contact we'll, us. We'll contact us. We'll make sure to get you a, a T-shirt. All right. All right. All right. So let's see. Let's do a few more questions here. We've got a couple more minutes left. Um, you know what? I think another one came in on Twitter. We so have I wanna... coffee mugs available too. When they in the gift shop. <laughs> yeah. Wow. You know, I don't want to put any pressure on you guys or anything, but you know. <laughs> All right. Let's see. Uh, this one is from Matt. How do you get senior leadership to adjust their leadership style 
to engage frontline staff and submit improvement ideas. I think you guys have already touched on that, but maybe if you have a few more thoughts. I mean, I think that this is one of those challenges. This is, a, I think, a broader lean question of how much can we do without our senior leaders being fully invested in the lean culture, a culture of continuous improvement. You know, we don't want to let that be an excuse to not go and try to do things. So I've seen some people in departments um, where, let's say, a director level person is gung-ho and gets it. and They're building that culture locally. You can do that. You, I think you run the risk of what happens when a VP or a C-level person comes in and says something that runs counter mm. to all of this Kaizen approach. Or, you know, somebody comes in and let's say locally we're building a culture of pointing out problems, even if it's something you did wrong, like me putting the wrong LinkedIn link on the slide. I will admit that. Um, but if a, a, you know, our CEO, Alan, if he were to walk in and blame me and yell at me, and I know he wouldn't do that, you know, that, 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 that's really going to undo a lot of the good efforts that we were doing locally. So I try to talk a lot with senior leaders and say, you know, and trying to, trying to convince them. Um, some of it has to be borne out through experience. They see good things happening in different departments and they decide they want to learn more and do more than just sort of bless and endorse improvement and actually get directly uh, involved in coaching on behaviors, modeling the right behaviors. Sometimes that starts from the beginning. Sometimes it doesn't. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to take a different angle at the question. But before I answer that, I'm just going to say that um, we've done a, a webinar. I'm sure it's in the Gemba Academy um, library about 25 leadership behaviors that um, leaders can do to help promote this. But but two, I think um, the, the different take I'm going to have is data. If you show senior leaders the type of data and the type of, whether it's cost savings, safety issues, satisfaction issues, time savings, and you say, um, you know, this is what we've been able to accomplish in this department. Yeah. Can you imagine if we did all of this um, across the whole organization? That speaks volumes. And and, and there's just, there, I, I love to think of things, you know, do, do you need a study to, to determine if parachutes work, you know? <laughs> and, um, and so if you say to them and appeal to them, hey, you know, we just had 100 people that were aligned to make the organization better instead of just one or two people. Imagine if we had 1,000 people or all 5,000 people, you know, or 10,000 yeah. eyeballs, if you will, all working in harmony and in unison towards the goals that you guys have identified. I mean, you all have set the, the ship, so to speak, in this trajectory, bring everyone on board to help things go yeah. in that direction. I think those are the types of things that are really appeal. Um, and it's not that, you know, that the impact takes five or 10 years to come. I mean, just in the first 30 days, um, almost in every organization that we roll out in, yeah. there's real tangible impact and you can walk around the workplace and someone will say, that was my idea. And oh, we saved, you know, 10 minutes a day on this and we saved a thousand dollars here. So. Yeah. And I think, you know, there's different mental models that often go very unspoken uh, around lean and continuous improvement. If a senior leader says, hey, I've heard lean or Kaizen are really good. I want that in my organization. The unspoken mental model often is if we could just fix the way those frontline employees and managers mm. do things every day, that'll solve all of our hospitals mm. problems. Instead of if they step back and really talk to other hospital CEOs like John Toussaint and Gary Kaplan who say, well, no, actually, it starts with our behaviors mm -hmm. as senior leaders in a lot of different ways. This is not about fixing the staff, and it's not about blaming and just fixing the senior leaders. It's about an organization all getting in this together and, and trying to figure out you know, how we all improve. It's certainly not as simple as, hey, come in and teach this to my staff so that they can quit being doofuses. Right, well, no, right. it's not that. We're not going to blame uh, blame them. But, you know, sometimes it's hard to get through that mental model. A lot of times because it's unspoken and, and trying to say, well, asking questions. Why do you think there's not a culture of continuous improvement? And trying to do small tests of change that help open their eyes to what helps make that happen. I think that's key. All right. Well, we're, we're just over an hour, so I want to be respectful of everybody's time. Let's go ahead and do one more question, and uh, we are going to record this. So if you do have to drop off for another appointment, please do, and, and thank you for, for coming on today. Um, but for those that can stick around, we still have a bunch of people on. Um, I want to consolidate a few different questions from Jason, Cheryl, and a few others, and um, I'm going to kind of consolidate it into Jason phrased it as, I gave an idea that helped save the company $10,000. Shouldn't I get a piece of that savings? 
<laughs> so uh, several folks have, have asked about kind of rewards and recognition and that sort of thing. It's such a double-edged sword. I mean, we write about this in our Healthcare Kaizen books, Joe Schwartz and I. I would also point people to Dan Pink and in his book, Drive. Um, incentives work, but they create a lot of dysfunctions in a lot of different ways. And we could, we could do, maybe we'll do another webinar about that topic. Mm. But um, it sounds fair. You need to pay me a percentage of the savings. That drives so many problems. If you go back to the book Ideas Are Free by Robinson and Schroeder, they really detail, it's not just our own experience with suggestion boxes, which were based on that approach. We'll pay you a percentage of the cost savings. That sounds fair, but that gets dysfunctional in 10, 10 different ways. So I think it comes back to the question of why is there lack of alignment between what's in it for me and what's in it for the organization? If people feel like, hey, I'm going to bring ideas forward and there's a risk I might get fired, well, then you should pay me a percentage as an insurance policy against me being fired. But when you have uh, trust and alignment and when the organization has profit sharing that's more broad-based, um, it encourages, uh, I'm going to sound like an idealist here, um, it's going to encourage teamwork, it's going to uh, encourage collaboration, and if we all implement ideas at the end of the year, we can share savings and benefits mm -hmm. from that, rather than saying, your idea saved this, and my idea saved that. I think there's different ways of, of providing, I think incentives aren't necessary when you have good leadership. And if you're going to do incentives, um, the more broad-based they are, the better. Now, some people say, well, that's not fair. You have free riders who didn't participate in improvement. Mm -hmm. But you can't always quantify um, if we did things in a team setting. Well, Greg spent 2.7 hours on this improvement, so he gets a percentage of the right. saving or the percentage of the percentage. It's just, it's just it's too hard to administer. I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going to try to just add a different flavor to your answer. Um, I actually did not believe this before. Mark, and until I read Daniel Pink's book, Drive. So I would highly recommend, if you have a, a thought about this and really want to kind of get into the psychology of this, to read that book, because he really breaks down into psychology studies. I mean, he refer I mean, he doesn't do them. He references right. them and explains kind of what the outcomes are and why they happen. And I'll just give, so one of my recommendations is please read that book. Yes. Um, and then two, I will say, just just think of, two behaviors that occur because of that. So you, you have something where, oh, you know, in, in May we're going to give um, a, an, an iPad to the, um, to the best idea. So then you can create a scenario where, it, you know, oh, I'm going to hold my idea until right. June because I already know there's a really good idea in May. Or I've got 12 ideas today, but I'm going to wait before. Um, you, yeah. you, then you also get into situations where, you, you start getting adversarial. Oh, well, this idea saved $10,000. No, it didn't. It really saved $14,500. Oh, no, no. What if you calculated this way? So you start creating, almost people are going to start gaming the system. They and you do. start, you, they you start do. getting into a situation. So, um, my point is, didn't believe that, um, point until I read Daniel Pink. And then yeah. you start seeing kind of behaviors. Having said that, just because there's not a direct financial reward, that doesn't mean that recognition yes. is um, shouldn't be given. Because we know recognition is a key factor. In fact, um, Masaki Amai talks about recognition in his book, and you're going to see over and over and over that yeah. recognition is a key, you know, a key component in yeah. creating behaviors. And, and, I, and I think one of the other dysfunctions, just real quickly before we wrap up, if you're giving a percentage of cost savings you are sending a really strong message to the organization that all you care about is cost savings. Mm -hmm. Because if I'm in a manufacturing company and I have an idea for reducing cycle time and, and improving on-time delivery to our customers, how do I translate that directly mm -hmm. into a financial benefit? If we reduce the length of stay in the emergency department, mm -hmm. how do we directly put that into or what about cost savings? Safety. I don't, you safety, figured out right? a way that you know eliminates an injury that was occurring twice a year. Yeah. That might have a, a, a financial number to it from the insurance and the health costs, but <laughs> the amount of gaming not, you would have to do to kind of come know, up with some yeah, numbers. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, I think I, I I can say from my own experience, I've seen percentage reward systems get incredibly dysfunctional, and I've seen people be incredibly successful with Kaizen without making that shared savings promise. So that's what I would challenge people to uh, to try to duplicate. It can be done without targets, incentives, rewards, but it requires lots and lots of recognition, mm -hmm. which is pretty cheap if not free. So 
that I think that's the key. Right. And so uh, one question has come in and what they wanted to repeat that on, well, it's not working, but the book is called, uh, it's by Daniel Pink and it's called Drive, D-R-I-V-E, The Surprising Truth About What Motivates Us. So it's an outstanding book and I, I have also read it and highly recommend it. Another book I want to plug um, and it's one of the best books that I've ever read. And it's similar to what you guys are talking about. And I know Mark knows uh, who I'm talking about here. But this is a book called Joy, Inc. by um, the guys over at Richard uh, Richard Sheridan's company, um, Menlo Innovations. We've recently did a Gimbal Live with these guys. And it's just an incredible company, software company, even though they are in Ann Arbor, Michigan, home of the Wolverines. That's I won't hold that too yeah, that's much my home turf, basically. <laughs> no, but, it's I've, an, I've been, I've, but I've been able to visit Menlo, yeah. and I've read the book. And there's such similar themes between his book. There's another great book called It's Your Ship about yeah. the Navy. Yep. And it's just there's there's a style of engaging leadership. It's not delegating or dumping things on people, but truly engaging and collaborating with people, setting strong direction and letting everyone figure out how to reach the goals yeah. that the organization has faced. I mean, it's it's elements of strategy deployment and Kaizen and Lean and different wrappers, and it's just good stuff. And I think the take home here is is that it's behaviors that can be learned. Right. It's it. We're not. It's you don't have to be a Michael Jordan. You know, it's not just only one percent of leaders are going to have this talent, but it's behaviors that can be learned and repeated in a yeah. disciplined manner that are going to have very expected results because they've happened in every industry and in every size company. And that's, I think, the real, t- I mean, anyone can do this if you want to. Yeah. You know? All right. Well, you know, Mark, before the uh, presentation started, he was bragging offline about how this was kind of a, a fly presentation and that they were going to be dropping some knowledge. But I think you guys did it outstanding. I really enjoyed it. So thank you for, for coming on. And thank you to all the folks that are still on. we got a bunch of people still on. Um, you know, Go check out Kinexus. It's a their, Mark and Greg style is not to, to plug their company, um, but I want to plug them um, for everyone that's watching. Go out and check out Kinexus. It's I think you guys started kind of really focused in the healthcare world, but even if you're not in healthcare, I think this tool is applicable. Uh, and you guys are now working with manufacturing companies and, and everything. So really cool stuff. Check out Mark's blog. Um, leanblog.org and uh, um, yeah so thanks again if anybody is on Twitter go to uh, and, and use hashtag Gemba webinar and let us know what you thought of the uh, of the webinar we really appreciate that and uh, yeah so so guys thank you again and uh, hopefully I'm sure we'll do another one down the road I always enjoyed visiting with you guys thank always you. enjoy it thank you appreciate it all right take care